0: You're listening to Strong Asian Lead, the podcast for Asian-Americans in film, television, and streaming. I'm your host, Masami Moria. In this podcast, we hold candid discussions about the entertainment industry from the Asian-American perspective and host interviews with the trailblazing Asian-Americans who made the industry what it is today. This week, we're publishing an interview I had with John Lee Brody last August of 2021. Yes, it's been over a year since we had this conversation, but I still think it's relevant. John is a filmmaker, screenwriter, and mental health advocate. He recently released a podcast called Real Psychology, where he and psychotherapist Donna Williams discuss the mental health of fictional characters. That's Real Psychology, R-E-E-L, psychology. And you can find that podcast on the Fireside app. Now, here's our interview with John Lee Brody. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, taking some time. I know it's been some weeks since we actually tried to get this going but it's good to have you man.
1: Yeah brother I would say it's almost like a long time coming you know and and like I I was telling you before we started recording I listen to it every time you have a new episode and learning something new about people I've heard of or learning about people I may not have heard of maybe not familiar with and it's it's so cool to know that there's some real badass Asian artists out there and uh, people better be on alert.
0: (laughs) Yeah we're super on the rise and it just feels like I don't know, there's a lot more conversation and more in depth and the 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 network of people like you start to meet and hear about is start to grow and then you see their work and it's really impressive. So it's like, okay, so we're 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 killing it. We just gotta like be with each other and know who we are.
1: Absolutely. We just gotta keep on doing it and that's the thing, do it together, you know. That that's really gonna be the key to this whole thing. But you're 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 a big part component of that though, man. Like what you're doing here. It's just really good shit. Like, I, I need to start out the podcast by saying that. So, uh, I'm John Lee Brody, filmmaker, Corgi lover. Uh, that's kind of how I introduce myself always. Uh, I'm in Los Angeles, California, not far from you. Uh, I think we're probably we, we're probably in neighboring yeah. parts of the of town. I'm guessing. So that's that's kind of the funny thing about it is I probably could have just come over, <laughs> <Bravo>. <laughs> <that your> <laughs> or you could have just come over here and I could have set up microphone. You know, I, gr- I grew up in Palatine, Illinois, which is a northwest suburb of Chicago. So usually I just say I'm from Chicago because it's easier because if I say Palatine, I got to I got to explain what that is. But that's where I grew up. Very, very white suburb. We'll get into that when we deep dive. But yeah, man, and uh, now I'm like I'm in I'm in L.A. doing the filmmaking thing and really leaning into stuff like what you're doing in terms of, you know, raising awareness, being like a true ally and also an accomplice to. Getting our voices out there as Asian artists and just Asian Americans in general, not just people in the entertainment industry, but Asian Americans in general. I've leaned very heavily into that, especially the past year. And part of that was because, like, I'd met you through social media, and um, just hearing you talk about things in a way that I never really thought about, you know, was a really cool cool thing for me and just hearing other people talk about things as well. So, so yeah, that that's, that's kind of the long and short of it. I mean, there's a whole story to it, but I know we're going to deep dive into kind of what that is in a little bit. So I'll just leave it at that for now.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you. And so for audience, I have construction going on right now. It's kind of <laughs> super loud today. So I apologize for all this on and off. So maybe we'll be able to <laughs> zone it out in post.
1: Well, the city of right. LA should apologize, not you. So I mean, let's just be real now. <laughs>
0: oh man it's just been been a morning but yeah man like you've been you've been talking about it for a couple of years now and you know seeing some growth i feel like you've been in the industry longer than i have especially within the hollywood space and more production stuff than i have so i'm really looking forward to hearing you know more perspectives of you know how it's how's it, it changed. what's your what's your opinion on where it's looking at now and what you see in the future and you know what's 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 going to be changing in the asian american entertainment space because i feel like We feel like we're going in the right direction. Do you feel like the same?
1: Yeah, there has been progress. I mean, we're not where we want to be because, you know, really, as much as all the studios want to say, oh, we're being inclusive, we're being diverse. But we get the numbers every year from the DGA. When we talk about I'm talking in particular about directors, still six percent of TV directors are Asian, only six percent. You know, 40s, almost half of the directors on television are still white. So if you're going to tell us you're being inclusive. Well, I'm going to call bullshit because these numbers don't lie. And I know y'all studios exactly. Y'all love analytics about whatever the fuck. So but you don't like it when it works against you. So that's something to think about uh, in terms of that. But they love to hide behind that fact by going, oh, the number of Asian American directors has gone up like 50 percent because maybe they had two last year and now they have four. You know, like it's like they're very <laughs> tricky about how they try to word it, but they don't understand Or maybe they don't anticipate that someone like yourself or myself are going to look deeper into those numbers and go, hold on, let's let's break this down here. You're saying you've increased by 50 percent in terms of Asian directors. Well, let's look at the actual numbers. Oh, you've only had X amount. So that's really not a lot. So quit patting yourself on the back like you're Matt Damon, you know, who has been doing that lately with his whole shit. But that's a whole other topic. But we are, you know, to answer your question, we have made progress because when you really look at the trajectory and the battles that asian artists have had to have and asian americans in general to be fair in this country there has been progress now slow progress is still progress that's what i had to remind myself but that's also a reminder we have to stay on it like we we want to you know we know we should be a lot further than where we are now but we also have to focus on what's in front of us what can we do in front of us right here in this moment and then once we get to that next step we deal with that like have an eye on where we want to be but also the 100 percent focus has to be where are we right now and what can we do right now
0: yeah yeah there's a lot that's you know i see you see twitter and facebook there's always like a daily post of something new which i feel like has almost never happened mm-hmm. which is which is incredible i i do worry that some of it performative i think there's a there's a there's definitely a level of it i would love to just see that Instead of things getting greenlit or things just like making the trades, like actually coming out, so I feel like a lot of things will get greenlit, but then it'll take what 10, 20 years <laughs> to, to get out. So it's like, well, I see a lot of new projects being headed, but then it becomes okay. So which ones are going to stick, and when are they going to become? Because I think that's that's the that's the finish line, right? That it actually gets released, and that it could it can go so many different ways of it not working out somebody dropping off creative differences. I mean, we just heard Lee as Chung was is not not directing or show running that show anymore because of uh, quote unquote scheduling. So who knows what that could be. So I hope that things just keep continuing to grow and manifest into those things.
1: Absolutely. We got to keep making noise because right now, I feel like studios and networks are feeling that pressure because we are talking about it and there is mm-hmm. stuff and there's, there's real shit in the news. I mean, March 16th still hurts a lot, man. When I think about Atlanta in March, that still fucking hurts just to say it out loud. They know that. So they're not completely stupid over there. <laughs> not yet, but, you know, we got to keep making noise about it and let them understand that we're here. We're not going away. And we're going to keep fighting for this cause, whether y'all like it or not. So either start listening and work with us or... We'll figure something else out. Like, I mean, can you imagine if every single Asian artist said, fuck the system, we're going to make our own thing? You know, that's that's where I really respect Tyler Perry, you know, because he really did create his own thing. Like, he created his own bubble, his own studio. I don't know all the ins and outs of who he is as a person. I never met the man. You know, I and admittedly have not seen all his films. But the fact that he did this and he created his own hub, I think that's really cool. And he's making the things that he wants to make where – As creators, we do have that power, but an individual can only do so much. You know, you really Mm. have to have like a collective coming together. But if we really did that and you think about all a lot of there's a lot of talented Asian artists and Asians in general in this world (laughs) that aren't getting the spotlight shot like shown on them. I mean, there's the Henry Goldings, Daniel Day Kim's, the Simu Liu's they get the headlines, the Aquafinas and everybody and studios love to make an example out of them going, Hey, look at us. See, we got Simulu. Look at, look, Simulu's on the cover of empire magazine. We're not racist. Like, ah, but let's go back literally over a hundred years. You kind of are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that doesn't solve everything, you know? So I feel like those sort of announcements in the trades, going back to what you're talking about, that's almost like the magician's assistant. Like, Hey, look over here while mm-hmm. we're doing the real shit over here. And that, mm-hmm. that's just how, and like, People can disagree with me all they want; that's totally fine. But when you really look at the history of Asians in cinema, and when they like they love to canonize Bruce Lee, they loved Bruce Lee a lot more after he passed away. Let's just be real now. Uh, Like after Bruce Lee passed away, Mm -hmm. he became mythologized, and then Hollywood could capitalize on that the mythology of Bruce Lee. But when he was around in here doing his thing, you know, it really wasn't the case. And the I think the kind of the fantasy we feed ourselves is. Had he lived on to see Enter the Dragon be a massive success, that things would have been smooth sailing. I really honestly think that to some degree there would be, but he would still be fighting a lot of battles and a lot of bullshit had Mm -hmm. he still lived on with Enter the Dragon. I think I think if anything, there still would have been people trying to sabotage him and take him down. It's that whole crab in a barrel, you know, sort of thing. And uh so it's like I said, we just got to keep making noise, man. And and uh, this is a this is a great way to do it. When I say this is a great way to do it, this being this podcast.
0: Yeah. Uh, now you've been you've got a huge career and background of like acting, directing, writing, and you know on tons of different projects in various categories and genres and even you know studios and places. But I did read one of your scripts, and you know. I'm very, I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I think something like that should be made. What has been like the most frustrating part of not being to make those types of films and make the stories that you want to make?
1: Well, I appreciate the, the kudos on the script, man. And I also read yours, too, that you've talked about a little bit, and your script is fucking dope, too. So that shit needs to be made. So I'm just going to put that out there as well because, you know, one good turn deserves another, as they say. The most frustrating thing is, you know, so with anybody listening what david's talking about is my script 1992 which is about the 1992 la riots but told from the perspective mainly from korean americans and also african americans but the main through line is korean americans and what they went through during what's known as saegu to koreans between 429 and korean signal uh symbolizing april 29th 1992 of course so the story this goes back to almost i mean this is a 10-year journey for me. The first two, three years was just research. I was talking to families that were there. I was doing ride-alongs with police officers and I was talking to Black families, Korean families, white families, Hispanic families, which people don't realize there's a huge Hispanic community in Koreatown, especially during the 90s. But, you know, the mainstream media loves to portray it as Blacks versus Korean, which there was, there was truth to that. But Hispanics suffered just as much as the Korean community did during Saegu and the Black community. So the first part of it was research. And then there was a point around 2015, 2016, where I had an investor interested and I pitched him the whole thing. He had committed two, $3 million to the project until he tried to pull, pull this fucking bait and switch on me going, okay, I have some thoughts. Which anyone out there, anytime you have somebody who's not really a creative, who but wants to be, say, I have some thoughts. I always brace myself for them. Like, okay, what's he going to say? And he's like, you know, I've been doing little research on my own. And I just, are you like, I don't know. Like, I feel like there hasn't been a a successful movie like this with an Asian lead. I think we're better off. He basically wanted me to cast a white dude as the lead so that the white dude was going to be this white savior who falls in love with a black girl in South central. I was like, yeah, but I was like, I told you. And I looked at him in the face. I said, I fucking told you what this was, man. And you said, okay, you said, that sounds great. Those were your words, not mine. Like you said that it sounds great. you were on board, and now you want to pull this shit. He's like, "Well, I'm just looking out for the best of the project. so and like this is what I is like, and this he was basically telling me it's it's this way or no, not at all. And without hesitation, I said, "Well', go fuck yourself in." And there was silence in this room. He's like, waiting for me to say, just kidding, And I'm like, no, I'm serious, man. Like I told you you knew what this was. I explained it very clearly what my goal was in terms of the story. And also what this could do for the industry, because this is before Crazy Rich Asians. This is before Sun is also the star, before those movies came out. you know. So there really wasn't a precedent of something like a Crazy Rich Asians that I could point to in terms of a financial success. And the funny thing is, I didn't really have huge clout back then. Not that I have huge clout now, but I really was still kind of in the middle of my journey during that time. So I really used to tell this money man, go fuck yourself. When I look back, I'm like, ah, oh, I guess I was a little crazy to do that. But... It's what I believe, man. And I have no regrets for that because, you know, had I gone through with that, one, I would have regretted that. And I'm not someone who believes in regrets. I believe in the choices we make are the choices we're meant to make. And we're supposed to learn from those because the moment you go into your past and try to change things, we have to understand that something else has to change if you do that. Like we sell this fantasy to ourselves that, oh, if I did this, then things would be good but you got to acknowledge that something would change something else that came from that lesson wouldn't be there had you made a different choice. So the project kind of got shelved for a little bit because, you know, and I was, I needed time to process that, you know, it probably took me a year to even be able to look at that script again. Cause I was just so deflated and cause it was supposed to be coming out in 2017 for the 25th anniversary of Saigu. And, but the nice thing was that Justin Chom released his movie Gook in 2017 and, As much as I part of me was like, man, not that it should have been me, but like him and I should have had movies together that year. But the (laughs) fact that he did it, I was like, word up, brother. I don't know Justin, but I respect the shit out of him for getting it done. He's killing it right now. You know, he's slowly and quietly doing his thing as a filmmaker and doing really cool shit. So so so, yeah, so basically we're at a point now where I'm looking to revive it. I'm running into the same problems, though. You would think with all the talk of inclusion and equality and people inclu- and Asians being on the cover of magazines and, you know, Shang-Chi is coming out in September. You would think they would jump on this. The thing is they jump on the pitch because they love the idea that something like this will look great in deadline. But what they don't want is they don't want me to direct it. They don't want me to be like one of the headline creators because they want one of their guys. And this was presented to me three times already where we love the script. We love this. We think you're great. But, you know, you haven't directed a feature yet. So, like, you how about this person? And I was like, "No." I was like, "I don't even know who that person is." And one, you just one of the guys you suggested was a white dude. Like, again, we're running into the same problem. Another company told me the same thing but said, "Oh, don't worry. Well, we won't cast we won't get a white dude to direct. We'll get we'll get this person who was a black director whom I won't name cuz I don't need to name him cuz he probably doesn't even know they mentioned him in this meeting, so it's not his fault." And he's somebody I do respect. He's, he has a, he's had a long career, but it's, I told him, like, this isn't his story to tell, you know? And it's like, it's going to change. And they're trying to sell me on this whole thing. And what I've come to realize is Hollywood loves to appear to be inclusive and about diversity and all that stuff. They're like the ultimate social media influencer. And they have the machine behind them and the PR machine behind them to help promote that image. But really when behind closed doors and this is my experience that I'm uh, talking about here to anybody listening, just so I'm clear, this is my personal experience. I know others have different ones and you're free to disagree, but my personal experience is they love the idea of looking inclusive, but to actually put in the work and promote these new artists and they're falling into this corporate thing of you have to get a name director, you have to get this. I said, no, you really just need a really good story and with your PR machine, with the studios having mainstream media in their back pocket, they really do control the narrative of what gets out there. I mean, the example I do is Good Will Hunting. I knew nothing; I didn't know what that fucking movie was about when they were doing press. All I knew is that Ben and Matt were best friends who wrote a script, sold it, got it made, and now it's out there in theaters. I did not; I knew that he was playing a math genius. I didn't know anything about it, but because we got that personal story of this friendship and these guys, you know, doing the thing. You're like, I got to see this movie. This sounds so cool. They did the same thing with Robert Rodriguez, El Mariachi, which isn't a great movie. It's a great jump start for him because he made it for $7,000. That was built right into the trailer. Y'all can look it up on YouTube. It said 23-year-old Robert Rodriguez did this and this, made this film for only $7,000. Come see it this fall and in theaters. That's like Studios can do that with artists, especially Asian artists that people, the general public hasn't heard of. So people can get to know them and know what they're all about. Know the grind that we've been putting in, the work we've been fucking putting in. People will latch onto that. And then when the story is good, that's a win-win for everybody, creators and the studio. So it's mind-boggling to me that nobody in that room is thinking of that because they're all talking about chasing the money. But what they don't realize is if they follow that formula of, Let's create stars. Let's build up these artists. Let's let let's make people aware. People may not have heard of John Lee Brody or David Maria, but let's make them fucking hear about these two guys. And then from there, people are listening. They're going to pay attention and we're going to deliver a really kick ass product. We win creatively and financially, like literally everybody wins. But, you know, the sad truth is Hollywood is still very much this gentleman's club, good old boys. And when I say a gentleman, I mean, white gentleman. And good old boys mean good old white boys. (laughs) So that's unfortunately what we're still up against. But alluding to what we were talking about before, us coming together as a collective and like you and I being buddies and like casting a wider net, at some point, they won't be able to ignore it. That was a long answer, yeah. I know. <laughs> no, no, I
0: think that was. I think that was a perfectly like you know guided into itself. Like even from the beginning, he you said you know he wanted to whitewash the characters. Yeah. <laughs> That's like that to me. It's like besides that, you told him that this is the story, but to then go and whitewash it, it just feels so. Like he said, he had said he had said he had done some research, but what research? Like, like who's writing that research? Who's where is it coming from? Is it coming from the why agents manage to say Asian stories don't sell, or is it the fact that we don't have enough Asian movies to have data from? Like that's the thing. Like especially when you have Asian, even some other Asian uh, movies and shows that are indie because they never got the films, uh, never got the budget to work with it, so then they're stuck with the indie. Uh, label and they don't make enough money because they don't have enough marketing and they don't have enough mm-hmm. pull so then you don't see any box office numbers so it just means it's so low it's like a cyclical circle that says well they didn't make anything not enough financially so it's not going to work but <laughs> mm-hmm. there's some it's because of the lack of money that they're able to not only market but the production value as well to see what stories could be told because you, then you're limited for what you have so then you're limited in everything and then when, when we said, you know, others want to have other directors and other uh, writers and people to champion these stories, which I see why Hollywood w- would want to do that. But then to not find, to not go the great lengths to have other, another Korean American. Like, I wouldn't even want a Japanese American to, mm-hmm. to, take, to go for that story because it doesn't make any sense. Like there's something so um, vivid and visceral being Korean American and being doing Koreatown I would think it's still it's a biggest historical moment in time. Besides, it's like beginnings, right? Am I, am I wrong here?
1: No, not at all. You know, and I lived in Chicago at the time, too. So I didn't grow up in L.A. during Saegu, during uh, the L.A. riots. But I remember my mom watching the news and, you know, I'm seven years old at the time. So at the time, I only cared about the Chicago Bulls won a second championship because it was 1992. So that's when my focus was. But my mom watching the news, because it was on every single station, and seeing her being really affected emotionally by it. And obviously, at the time, as a seven year old, I didn't understand. I didn't understand why she was sad. But she was really emotional over Koreans that she never met and probably will never meet. But because she knew that she knew that pain and the fact that this was happening right in front of us, too. And that's the crazy thing about the treatment of Asian Americans is the bad behavior has been in front of us all along. Like people are trying to come at us now going, you know, as if this is something new, you know, I've heard even people say, go, Oh, Asians can complain about something and the next day. It gets solved. I'm like, Oh, you may seem like that to you because right now it's a hot button topic. So certain people will act on it when it's being called out. But we're talking in Hollywood alone. I think 1915 was Madame Butterfly. Like that was like the first kind of known yellow face, which then went into Fu Manchu, which then, You know, this parlaying to this whole thing of Breakfast at Tiffany's, John Wayne playing Genghis Khan, David Carradine being half Chinese because they didn't want Bruce Lee to be in Kung Fu, you know, and it's still and I told people, like, not only was that behavior tolerated for white people to play Asians, it was also rewarded. You know, Marlon Brando got an Oscar nom, I I think. uh, Someone can fact check me and a Golden Globe nom for being in Yellowface in two different movies. Linda Hunt played an Asian boy. (laughs) And won an Academy <laughs> yeah. Award. You know what I mean? Like Yul Brenner won an Academy Award for and I respect those actors, but it's like, don't tell me y'all couldn't find a national Asian actor to play those roles. You know what I mean? So it's been happening right in front of us. And I think us shining a light on it like we are now, you know, you're gonna see these white executives and people who like to enable that behavior get defensive about it. Go like, oh no, 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 no. Like, hold on, let's look at this though. Because like I said in the beginning of this podcast. Y'all love to talk about analytics, so let's look at some facts here that you cannot argue. So, yeah, it's 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 crazy, man. Like you, like I said, you would think that they would jump on this story, but what they want is they want the image of looking inclusive, but they don't actually mm-hmm. want to do the work. It's very lazy, you know. Mm-hmm. They take everything at face value, so they'll look at my IMDb, which I have you know credits on, you know, but that doesn't tell the whole story. You know, like if I look at your INDB, I may not have as many (laughs) credits, but if anyone listens to this fucking podcast or listens to your clubhouse like everything you talk about, man, you've done your research, you've done your homework and you, and you have a clear point of view on what you're talking about, but it's always rooted in, in those facts. But that's because you've done the work to find out, to, to know the history of what's going on and talk to others where these executives, they don't do that. It's all about what have they done? It's like, if it's someone like a Henry Golding, it's like, okay, cool. He's been crazy rich Asians. He's done this. He's got this many social media followers done. It's like, uh, but this movie is supposed to be like, the guy's not supposed to be British. Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as people are going to go see the movie, you know, it's, it's become very lazy. And you got, I'm telling you, man, we're, I think we're the only industry where you really can like fake it to make it, you know, to use that term, because I've met executives and producers who I'm like, how the fuck did you get this job? Like, how are you making the most important decisions for these like franchises when you don't know what you're doing? Like, There's people who work for these studios who don't even like movies or television, don't even watch <laughs> movies or TV like they, they have no concept of what is good or bad. It's just all very left brain thinking. And you wouldn't be able to do that anywhere else. You couldn't do that in the field of medicine. you got to go to medical school and become an M.D. You couldn't do that in law. You got to get a JD. You got to go to school for it. And then there's I talk about jobs like being a plumber or an electrician, people who go to trade schools, that executives at these studios like the frown upon because they didn't go to a four-year university. But at the same time, I can't go out and be a plumber or an electrician. I don't have that skill set. And those individuals who do that, they took the time to learn that skill and that trade and are doing a very, I would say, noble profession. Things that people love to frown upon, but you need a skill to do that. But our industry, for whatever reason, you know, it's been a lot of nepotism. It's been a lot of you know, you can fake your way to it. I mean, Carl Lemley, in I think 1928, as a 21st birthday present, gave Universal Studios to his son. It basically says, "Well, you're old enough to drink. I guess you're old enough to run a studio." That was it. <laughs> that's the history of our industry, you know.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, that's so telling too, because I feel like this The thing that they have is power, right? They have the power over the narratives. They have power over the business of it, the industry, to see that even if they don't know, even if you you just take the business side. Like I understand that this is a business, and at the end of the day, you can make money, lose money. It's risks. It's risk assessments. All of that, and sometimes it's a gamble. Other times it's, it's a it's just a way to make money from people. But at the same time. Hollywood in itself and media just plays so much into a factor of society that it really needs to take responsibility of what it's putting out there, right? I think that's the thing that it, who, who's being able to tell those stories, who where perspectives, what, you know, there's so many different people to to come to tell stories. Why is it only a certain amount of few? Why are we not trying to help others gain that credibility for what they have instead of using the same people over and over again, which I get is a risk assessment to like say, Oh, we're going to get more. There's there <clears throat> they have a budget. We have a place. It's going to be easier for us to sell this because we have this person attached. But if someone's better for the role, better for the position, understand more understanding of the story or more just involved with it and just so passionate about it instead of just a job, it's their life that should count for something that should need to count for something because they're going to put their whole life into it and yeah maybe they're young and they need some some guidance but just guidance not take over because <laughs> that's when it becomes your project not the person who should be telling it like that's that's such difficult to me
1: yeah, it's 100% man, 100%. I mean, you nailed the head on the the hit the nail on the head right there. God, there's something I was going to say, but I got so like I, I got so <laughs> like into what you were saying cuz I just got lost listening to it, but I'm sure it'll come back to me, but yeah, them control Uh-oh, so what you're talking about in terms of they're trying to use the same people like risk assessment, risk management, which is, look, I majored in accounting and finance. So all you execs, if you, I hope execs are listening to this because that means you're getting a big audience. So, <laughs> but I hope if y'all are listening to this, I graduated with a dual degree from account with accounting and finance from the university of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Shout out to the fighting Illini, which the accounting program is in the top five consistently every year. So I have that education. I don't know everything about it, but I know enough to know how business works now, when you're doing the risk assessment, like these studios are, it's all very short-sighted. It's all about who's hot right now. So right now, you can attach Simulue to probably anything because the hype of Shang-Chi is so strong. And it really—I hope that thing makes a fucking three billion dollars just to shut up these executives for a little bit. You know, it's once you do that, there's very little to no argument that they can make if they're if you're making money and the and the audience loves it. That's a very very good force field, but. It, but it's all very short-sighted. They're not thinking about the fact of okay, this person's hot right now. but what about a year from now when we release this movie? Are they still gonna have that thing going on? Or what if, God forbid, that turns out they're like a serial killer or something? I know that's a really extreme thing, but you know there's risk there too, but nobody's bringing that up. like nobody somebody in that room and I'm sure somebody does bring it up for all we know, you know, if there's someone of color in there, there's not many Asians in those rooms. I mean, I know one of three, Asian women who help run growth marketing for these studios. I mean, that's it. There's like three that I know of and I know one of them, but right. somebody should be saying this person's hot right now, but if we get this person who's like a new talent, but has been grinding, we just haven't seen all the work they've been doing. And this goes back to them being able to control the narrative or be have mainstream media. Let's build this person up. We got a whole year to build this person up, put this person on people's radar, let them know what's their journey is, what's going on here. They're going to know from the sale of the script through pre-production, through filling, what's going on with this individual. They're going to want to follow that journey. And no matter what, at the very least, that opening weekend, they're going to be there because they have to see this movie. Because for a full year, that's all they really heard about. you know. And and, like, and then when you have a really good product, then that word of mouth goes out like, hey, you got to see this movie, man. This thing's dope. I want to saw it opening weekend. And that's how that happens. That's how goodwill Hunting happened. It's, and it didn't hurt that so the, the story of Goodwill Hunting, for anyone out there listening who isn't totally familiar, the story we get is Ben and Matt are best friends. They wrote Goodwill Hunting together. They the script went out on a Monday and was sold by Thursday. Now all those things are true. What people don't talk about is I believe their agent was Patrick Whitesell from W William Morris Endeavor, one of the most powerful agents. In Hollywood, one of the most powerful individuals in all of Hollywood, not just agents, but individuals between him and Ari Emanuel, which Ari Emanuel was the real Ari from, you know, that Ari Gold was based off of an entourage for anybody kind of wondering about that. But when you have a powerful agent like WME, who they, ha- they can call up the studio heads and go, hey, I got this thing for you, they'll sell the script. And I think what people need to understand that selling a script is just really a small piece of that puzzle selling the scripts, one thing, then you got to negotiate the deal. And then they're going to, people are going to have notes. Studios gonna have notes, or then they got to pair you up with a production company. The production company is going to have notes. And then from there you get to take it back to the studio and see if they sign off. And if they don't sign off, then it may go into turnaround. Turnaround just means it goes back on the shelf and it kind of goes away. But what's missing from the narrative that Ben and Matt and everybody likes to push on that is one, they had a very powerful agent, uh, pushing their project when you have that, and they're two—they're two white males who fit the standard of measure of what a handsome leading man is, you know, which is white dudes. <laughs> you know, that's that. I grew up thinking I wasn't good looking because everyone that was considered good looking was a white dude. So I was like, what does that mean for people like me? It just we were weren't even part of the story at all. And uh, the other thing at good Will hunting is Kevin Smith who is really known for the Jane Silent Bob, you know, the Vue verse? he was such an instrumental part of Ben and Matt selling that script because he's the one, when the script was about to go into turnaround, he called Miramax and said, you guys got to pick up the script. And that's how that happened. But enough mm. about these white boys. I just thought, <laughs> my point is when you have, when yeah. you fit that look that supports the studio's narrative, like a Ben and Matt, those individuals are much more likely to be like made into stars and put out there. But, that could be done for anybody if they have the work to back it up doesn't matter what ethnicity you are really but if you're with a studio system a studio has that power to do it so the fact that they have that power and they don't do it that just goes to show right out in the open the bad behavior and how they view us as artists they don't really view us as human that's just that's just unfortunately the case you know that we're viewed as like a almost like a means to an end like if 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 shang chi takes off And I hope that does everything that's supposed to should do for Simu and everybody involved. But that's even a bigger win for Disney because they're making the billions of dollars and they get to take the braggy rights and go, we had the first Asian American superhero lead. That's really what it's all about. But yeah, so it's just, it's a wild thing. (laughs) I keep, I keep using that word wild because it's, it's fascinating that this can happen right in front of us.
0: Yeah. When, as long as they don't do Shang-Chi and then stop. Right. I think that's the thing. Is like, oh, we, we did the Asian thing. Check. All right. Keep moving on. <laughs> more more of the other stuff. So, I mean, I even looked at, I think I looked at the adventures poster the other day. I'm like, there's two women on here. <laughs> and I was like, they need to do more of this. Like, there's something wrong here. I think that's just, and I think you're completely right. Building the hype, as much as building the hype takes a long time. It takes some effort. It also, that's what makes the careers, right? I know people because of their, some just- word-of-mouth hype or just hearing from people. Even if I look around people who I do know and just people who are, I'm like, oh yeah, these people are pretty famous. i talk to other people and they don't know anything about them. And it's because, and they're at studios. They're like an executive. I'm like, I haven't heard that person. I'm like, because they don't get to, they don't have the marketing. No one does the things for them. You know, their agents, if they have their agents, <clears throat> either are not putting out enough publicly or whatever it is, it's just not, they're just not doing it. I think so I think that's, I think you're totally right. That's, it's that marketing thing, but also that's why I think so representation within not just on the screen, not even just behind the camera, but behind the people behind the camera to say, Hey, are you, they're talking behind, uh, behind closed doors. Like I just got my manager about a month ago and he's Congrats, already, put my name I heard about
1: either. that. Congrats to you, brother.
0: <laughs> Thank you. But he's putting my name in, in conversations like, Oh, David would be really good for that. He's, you know, he's, you know, you don't know him yet he hasn't written anything like nothing that's been published or anything like that but what he's got uh, either in his writing or just like as a consultant for asian things you should at least talk to him i think that's the key so that guy's fighting for us but if they're not going to do that or they have either bigger clients or other clients that they think they can get more money out of then just time it's just like they don't put enough effort into it so that's why i think you have to have really strong allies Or someone who really understands you and understands the issues that you go through as an Asian person who just doesn't get enough opportunities. I think that's the biggest thing. And who can speak to you in a way that, to you and to others, in a way that you feel respected. I think that's the biggest thing too.
1: hundred percent. And the word ally is a big one because to be an ally to the cause is easy. Anyone can be an ally, like just be on our side. And you don't just have to be an Asian American to do it. You know, like, be, but there's also a word that I love, uh, accomplice. So when you're an accomplice of the cause, you're somebody who is, you know, a little higher up, may have some clout, and you're in a position to help somebody else and bring them up. You need to be an accomplice as well. And I feel like that's not embraced enough in general. But, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I feel like in the Asian American community, we can really do that for each other. I feel like Daniel day Kim is really trying to do that. There are others, but Daniel Day Kim can't do it on his own. You know, mm-hmm. he just can't. You know, there's only so much Daniel Day Kim can do in one day. And he really at the end of the day, he's got to look out for himself, too, you know, but that's what we really need to embrace. And that's not just let's bring up these writers. Let's bring up this person. It's also, you know, I had a really cool discussion one day. I was at Korean barbecue with a few friends and just all of bunch of us other, Asian dude people just kind of talking about the industry. And, you know, there's this whole thing of. There's a lack of opportunities after you, especially for Asian women once you reach a certain age. So a lot of these Asian women, they want to hang on to this leading lady sort of thing. They don't want to play the aunties. They don't want to play the, you know, the moms or the gomos or whatever. But I think there there is a way where they can do that. I feel like the way Michelle Yeoh did that in Crazy Rich Asian, she was like the mom, but she was helping bring up the other actors too. She was kind of like Alec Guinness was on, on Star Wars, you know, kind of being that senior person. And I think that's really important to have those kind of figures. And but also with the understanding of look, I'm not gonna tell anybody you have to do this. But for me personally, if I reach a point where I actually have poll in this industry and I can call executives and say hire this person, I'm gonna fucking do it. You know, like I'm gonna do that because that's the right thing to do because people have helped me out along the way. So for me to not pay it forward, I think is a huge, huge disservice to the entertainment industry as a whole, but especially to Asian Americans, because so many people are grinding and like for every Alcofina, Michelle Yeoh, Daniel Dickham, Simulu, Liu, Henry Golding that you hear of, there are thousands of really, really fucking talented Asian Americans that just won't ever get that shot because they're not viewed as marketable or bankable or whatever because they're not in the machine. But the advantage now is, you know, back in the ni- 80s, 90s, we would have been fucked because there was no social media. There was no YouTube. But now we have platforms like this one, your podcast, and, youtube clubhouse and other apps out there we can make it we can make noise about it we can tell our side of the story and i think that's really important for us to remember that even if the studio machine isn't really keen on hiring us we still have the power to create they can never take that power away from us and we always need to remember that i need to remember that too because i got really fucking frustrated with how the system works And, and going back to your thing about marketing so this is this is an interesting one for me i, I don't know if people know this and nobody's since told me otherwise but as far as i know i'm the first korean american to ever direct anything for dc comics you know i did a show right. called dc universe all-star games for the dc universe app which unfortunately is no longer it was a casualty and the AT&T at t purchase of warner media unfortunately so right now the show is sitting on a shelf but I did that. That was my first television pilot, and a week later, after we shot it, we only had one day to shoot like the whole first season. Basically, it was kind of crazy. The week later, we're giving the thumbs up and going, "Hey, you're gonna we're gonna air this thing." This is in November 2019 when we shot it. We're gonna air this thing after Harley Quinn finishes its its run. So February, uh, end of February 2020. Like, all right, 2020 is gonna be lit. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was a little off about that one, but the weird thing about it is there really wasn't a huge marketing push from the Warner media side we only were announced on IGN, which is great that they, it is great for the gamer community. And that's really who we were. That's who our main audience was going to be, who would appreciate it. But, and this is why this is the crazy thing. that something like deadline of variety carries so much weight. It really doesn't matter, but at the same time it does. Cause if you're mentioned in deadline, all of a sudden you're very legitimized. It really doesn't mean fucking anything. Like, I mean, for we're being honest, but, had they announced our show on Deadline, which they could have done, this is Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers has a lot of power, and they could have carved the whole story of they gave me a shot to do this thing. Korean American, who had ne- no Korean American has ever directed anything. One Korean Canadian has. Man, out of Co- a Korean Canadian named G- Dean Cho did two episodes of Legends of Tomorrow. So it's me and Dean are like the only like Koreans <laughs> in all the DC universe, and Jim Lee, Jim Lee, who's the CCO of DC Comics, but the fact that when I would bring that up, it was often very much not talked about. You know, there's only one interview I really did for that show. And they were the only one that even asked me about it. Cause they were aware of it. It was a uh, krypton shout out to krypton site for that. But the fact that that wasn't being blown up. And when I tell people that and they're like, how is that not being put everywhere? I'm like, I don't know. I don't control that. I tell people as much as I can, but there's only so much I can do. And there's a fine line between me informing and me, being almost not invasive but almost like i don't know not bragging either but it's weird you you can only do so much on your own
0: yeah it's like a humble brag we want to want people to know about it because it's also really kind of important for the community but also we're we don't want to like boost ourselves up because it's just like self-serving yeah but yeah and i think you're totally right most people don't know about that and if they had done it it would have been a win-win Right, more people would have viewed it. More people would have seen you. They would have gotten a, a check, another mark on their diversity box, which is fine. Like, fine, let it be a yeah. check mark. But at least, at least, it's helping us, <laughs> right? So, like, they could have done it, and they just decided not to. What for? Wh- whether it was a conscious decision or it was the merger that happened, whatever it was, it could have helped out everybody. And I think that's the, that's the. It was a little thing that people could have done, and yeah. so I think. Those are the things that we need to build on. We need to ask for. We need more people thinking, going in those positions in studios and saying this needs to happen because I'm sure it's just being left on the floor. People aren't even thinking about it because they're not Asian. That's the thing. They're not thinking about the community constantly. I think about ourselves and our community every day. I'm sure you do too. And everybody who's listening, even if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking about it at least once weekly, if not like daily. So Someone in the studio position who's not Asian just aren't really thinking about Asians in the same way. And how how are we going to change the industry in this way? Not just as a commodity, not just as, oh, we have this person as a director and, and this story, so we're good. But no, what's it? What's the social implications that this is going to put down? And that's the difference too.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, as we all know, art imitates life, life imitates art. So I've had this discussion with a lot of my white friends, you know, like, and they, they want me to try to explain to them that they can understand why it's so important. I said, Well, other than the fact that it's just important for any individual to be properly represented, let's just let's just put that that's the foundation of it. But I had to tell white people, there are multiple representation of white people on screen, there has been for 100, like 100 years. So Boondock Saints made everybody want to be Irish Catholic because they made Irish Catholics look really cool, even though these guys were murdering people. (laughs) But somehow everyone thought that was cool. The Sopranos and Godfather made Italian Americans like in mobsters look cool. But anytime Asians were on screen, it was always we were the sidekick. We were the joke. You know, we were like the racist ass thing and what, 16 Candles, you know, the foreign exchange student. It was a 16 Candles, right? I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, that's the
0: one. Gym. You know what yeah. I mean?
1: And, and white people have been telling Asian stories for years. And I, and I was talking about earlier, Marlon Brando got an Oscar nom and a Golden Globe nom for being in yellow face. So I had to tell them when that, if your only representation, if you're as a white person and the only representation was very negative and something very demeaning to you, But every Asian-American had really good representation. And I said to you, oh, come on, man. It's just the movie. And I tell them, how pissed off would you be? And they they have no answer. I'm like, I already know your answer. You'd be really fucking pissed off. And that's why we're pissed off. Because this image of Asian-American men and women has been perpetuated for literally over 100 years. And we're still fighting to have realistic portrayals of us in the media and in movies. And it's still a fight to this day. I mean, it took us when 92 years to have Steve, you know, Steven Young gets an Oscar nomination. It took us mm-hmm. 92 years to have an act, an Asian actor, get a best actor nomination at the Academy Awards. I want everybody to think about that. I mean, 92 years. That's almost a century that it took. And y'all want to say you're inclusive. Well, fuck your inclusiveness. That's not inclusive. That's fucking bullshit. You know, <laughs> like that's that's what that is. You know, I would say I'm sorry for cursing, but, you know, me; I'm not sorry for cursing, Ooh, you yeah, know. We'll get here. <laughs> but that's the thing that I think people who don't understand our fight for representation need to realize. And this is this is targeted towards Caucasians because they've grown accustomed to they ha- there's been portrayals of white in many different facets over the years. Good, bad, ugly, all of it. We've mostly just had the ugly in the past. <laughs> you know, we've had had some good ones, but. You know, but even then, even with Bruce Lee being the culture icon he is, I think if we lived in the 70s, we would know that it wasn't what it is now. We canonize him now. He's a legend now. But back then, he had to leave Hollywood, go to Hong Kong and do his own thing. And then once they saw he was making money, look who comes calling, Warner Brothers, and says, let's do a co-production. You know, so basically, they love to make money off his name and everything because they realized he was going to do it without him. You know, And, and that goes back to we have... As creators more control than we like to think we may not have the control like green light through a studio system, have hundreds of millions of dollars, but you know, we, we have the control to work on our craft, which is what I've been doing because there's the, there's a big misconception that if you haven't done, if it's not on your INDB, if it's not this, then you're completely new, but they don't take into account that maybe we've done our homework. Maybe we've done some research. Maybe we're, we're, being mentored by awesome people who are showing us the ropes along the way before we get called up because you know for all of you out there for every remember, tom brady was a backup quarterback a six-round draft pick at one point but what did he do he put in the work and did his thing and when his number was called he was ready and the rest is history so that's what we do you know but when they only look at things at face value what credits we have how many followers we have on social media they're not getting the story. I mean, it's just like college admissions, just because somebody has a 4.0 GPA and a perfect SAT does not mean they're automatically going to be a good student or just a good worker in the field they're studying. It just means they did well in that, in that regard. So like I said, it's a very lazy way of doing things. Everything's face value, but if they took a pause and actually got to know these creators, because all these meetings I told you about where they want to have another director, Like they won't even take the time to really talk to me and get to know me. It's really like through like an email going, ah, well, what about this person? And I said, hold on, let's have a conversation first. And if at the end of that, you don't think I'm your guy, I'm not your guy, but at least have that conversation. But they're not even willing to do that, which that's Mm -hmm. a huge, huge mistake on their part, but also an example of why the system is so broken because they're not doing the work. They're not doing the research. They're really just going for these quick fixes that are really just very short-sighted. It's like, Putting a bandaid on a deep wound. That's the machine though. They, you know, that's why these reboots, they're going to be hit or miss. Because if you don't have Sony behind those reboots who really understands what it was in the first place and really have a really good story. That's why a lot of these reboots don't, you know, they miss the mark. I mean, I haven't seen snake eyes, but I'm guessing whoever was in charge was not really a fan of GI Joe, you know, because <laughs> if they were, they wouldn't have missed the mark, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they do the same thing with the, all the live action animes. Uh, that they're doing right so they yeah. like they just that what they just announced pokemon on netflix yeah. so i was like that's gonna be cool <laughs> but they're also gonna fuck it up <laughs> oh they're like, gonna fuck
1: that up bad because the people you
0: know the people who are gonna run in their older older generation that's totally cool but i grew up with it like that was my every day <laughs> i still have pokeballs in my room just like hanging around i've got the pokemon cards like that's the thing like people who are invested into those into those IPs, or even just the the platforms, or what those things are, are going to be give it, give it the love. Understand what they're, it's going to need. And so, same with Asian films and Asian storytelling, the Asians are going to know what their story needs, Mm -hmm. right? Not just you know a cover up. Not it's even when you get on set, there's going to be a thing here, a thing there that could just make all the difference. Not only just to the production or the story, but just to the actors to be able to i don't know embody that moment and feel seen or like make the change or they and even have a suggestion like we saw the whole convenience stuff they might have a suggestion that actually not changes the story but makes it more like authentic makes it more makes it something that's there and if a director who's why just like, oh no no it's just for the just for the visual don't do that or it's 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 uh no, it doesn't make any sense like but it makes sense to us and and people are going to see it, are either going to call you out for it or going to appreciate you did it right. So which one do you want? I think that's a, it's a big difference. And so, yeah, you're totally right, man. I feel you. This is getting a new, a new world of things. And I think as long as we keep holding our power, holding our stances, don't just take the money and do a whitewash thing. Like that's where we, we hold our power. And I think that's really important.
1: Absolutely. You know, and I saw it kind of in our pre- Uh, interview questionnaire that that Kenna sent over. Shout out to Kenna, your producer of Strong agent Lead. Uh, I got to throw that in there. I remember one of yours because I have a very strong athletic background. And I, I really like this question of how did my athletic background really supplement what I do as a filmmaker? And really, it's like when you look at filmmaking as a whole, it really is a team sport. You know, you, you know, show me one person that's actually done it all by themselves. I mean, Robert Rodriguez is probably the closest, mm-hmm. but really, but Rob Rodriguez also wasn't an actor. He had to have somebody in front of his camera to make his movie. You can't just shoot nothing. So I break it down like this. I'm going to use the 90s Bulls as an example. So Phil Jackson was the coach of the Bulls in the 90s. Phil Jackson's like the director on a set. So he's the director and he's got his assistant coaches, which is like your ADs, your production designers, all the people filling in those blanks to inform the head coach of, Hey, this is what's going on. And the head coach ultimately kind of takes that information and decides when and where to use it. The Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan's the number one, your call sheet. So that's your George Clooney's or Brad Pitt's your whoever's, you know, I'm naming those two because those are the most recognizable names. And then above, but above the coach is the GM. So that was Jerry Krause. That's like your production company, whoever's running that one, they're going to have some say in terms of what's going to go on. They're going to have some insight into what's going on. Some have more than others. Some have less than others. Some directors. Like Phil Jackson later in his career had that GM kind of say like a Steven Spielberg does now, where Steven very much has a say in everything that's going to go on in his movie. But even above the GM, you got the owner of the team, Jerry Reinsdorf, which that's like the studio. So that's really the controlling hand of everything. Uh, A lot of times those producers like the Jerry Krauses get all the heat and sometimes rightfully so. But we got to understand that somebody at a studio, when we see a bad idea or some bad behavior and they blame one person or for like a creative thing, we got to understand that a studio exec signed off on this. So, I mean, as long as we want to shit on certain movies out there, we've got to understand that there was somebody in a suit in an office who doesn't even watch fucking movies. Somebody approved that, or somebody made a really stupid suggestion. And that's what got in there. Not always, but we had to take into account that it's not just the directors or the actors. Now directors do get a lot of the credit Sometimes you know unfairly too much and unfairly too much of the blame if it doesn't go well. Same thing if you're the number one on the call sheet. If the Bulls lost, it was automatically Michael Jordan's fault. But Michael, it's like, and you can say, "Oh, Michael scored 44 points, but they still lost. They're still going to put the blame on him." You know, and so that the, so that team sports mentality really has helped me because that understanding of I can't do it on my own. I we need each other to do this thing. You know, you can clearly tell when there's movies when. There are certain actors just kind of looking out for their own performance, as opposed to let's actually let's actually have a dialogue here. Let's talk, man. Let's let's run the lines. Let's do this thing. Let's make this thing really really good. But you can you can tell like what, some movies you can tell they're just protecting their own performances, their own brand, so they can come off looking as good as they want to look and make sure they get the cash, to check that they want to cash. But I always took very much a team sports approach, and as a director, even though. Technically, I'm the one who has to fi- like had the final say of this is what we're doing. I'm always going to throw it to the room and go, what do you think? And and I think creators, if you're a showrunner, director, whoever out there listening, you know, listen to those ideas. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to take that idea. But just know that if you do, even if somebody at craft services says, try this, and it ends up being a great fucking idea, guess who gets the credit? You, not the person at crafty. So I think you, everyone needs to realize that, you know, put the ego aside. And know that we're here to, uh, a basketball team is here to win. We're here to win. Whether I score 48 points or not, we're here to win. So if I'm going to make a film, we're going to make this thing awesome. So if that means I'm taking suggestions from everywhere I I still got to decide which one to use, let's fucking do that. It's a collaboration, man. But also on top of that, you know, I had a very competitive nature as an athlete, you know. And there's still some of that here in entertainment you can't really Use that here because it's not a direct competition with you. Like in basketball, it's more linear. You know you gotta guard this person, you've got to score against this person, play against this team. Where I don't like to take that approach here because I really do think we all should just be collectively together. But I do have that competitiveness when, you know, when a studio tells me I'm not studio approved to get a TV directing gig, which I've been trying to do for five years, DC Universe All-Star Games aside, you know, me trying to get into the broadcast network stuff. I'm still running into that whole thing of, oh, you're not, but you're not network approved. You got to talk to this person, this person, this person. But it's like, like what? Like, it's like the McDonald's drive through speaker. Like the speaker's here, but the window's right there. I'm like, why can't I just talk to you? Why do I have to talk to here? You. you know, this just, just doesn't make sense. But, but the, the competitiveness for sure. And, you know, I always had to remember that, you know, I think the number is less than 2% of high school football players go on to play division one football. So guess who's one of the 2%. I mean, I was, you know, I don't bring it up a lot. It was a past <laughs> life. And I had another Korean dude on my high school football team. Shout out to Sing Yup, bro. Real chiropractic. If you're in Chicago, just a little quick ad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you need a chiropractic adjustment, go to real chiropractic. Nice little ad read there. But Sing Yup and I both went to division one schools and we're both Korean dudes. So for us to be of the less than 2%, you know, I always had to remember that because I remember how many people told me how unlikely that was, how hard it was, how there are no Asians in the NFL, even though Det Wynn was playing for the Dallas Cowboys, but nobody even knew about him. I always remember that because if I can be one of the less than 2% there, I can be one of the 6% of TV directors. It's just a matter of getting in front of these people. So the athletic background definitely helps, but mainly because I do take a team sports mentality of let's do this thing together. We all have the same goal. I want to make a really good episode of television Or a really good feature film, or even a really good commercial, we're all here for the same thing. So I think we gotta we gotta remember that everybody on set. There's gonna be times you're frustrated, late hours, really tired. That I think that's on a director, a leader like myself to go, hey guys, remember like we're still here. Remember this is the goal, and uh, let's let's stay on par and let's do this thing, you know. But let's do it together because if we all start acting like a bunch of individuals, it will not work. You know, it just won't work.
0: Yeah, I, I really appreciate that that team, the team spirit here, because I think that's the thing that we also need, not even on a production set, but just as community, right? Even if if I don't get a gig and someone else did, good, good. Maybe I wasn't the right person or they're the right person for it. And like, congrats, you did it, man. Like you did it, girl. Like whatever it is, you, you we have to champion each other. For these things, now I don't think we shouldn't not hold people critical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can say like, okay, man, that was a, that was a little I'm good for you, but you know, you can do better. Whatever it is, because I think that's if we only, if we only give pets on backs, that doesn't improve anything it just continues and perpetuates whatever they're already doing yeah. <laughs> instead of like oh, okay you could do better here like need fo- we can all we can everybody can use feedback for everything <laughs> i give feedback all the time like, okay i could change that and i can move that around and that's and that's the team sport of it and when you're when when i can offer somebody else like oh this person's also really great at something that even something that i can do but this person's also really good at take a look at them too it might be you know going against my chances of getting this job or whatever it is. But if that person's better for the position between us two, then that person's better. I shouldn't get it just because I got it first or you heard of me first. That just means that I was lucky. But if this person's really good for it, that's that's what's better for the project at the end of
1: the day. Absolutely. That's what I think. I actually did that once. I don't know if that any... I'm not going to take any possessory credit of this, but I remember couple of years maybe three four years ago my manager at the time had messaged me saying hey the producers are fresh off the boat want to meet with you for this role and i've looked at it and it was like a taiwanese you know accent role and i was like like i don't feel right doing this because i don't not taiwanese i don't i don't like speaking with the accent like i would do it if maybe it's a korean accent because i could be a little more authentic there but i didn't feel right about it i said i don't want to go in for this it's going to waste people's time i feel but i said tell casting this and this is before Kim's Convenience even came to Netflix, I said, tell them to look at this dude, Simu Liu, because I just met Simu through a friend of mine, and we had been talking, had a little dialogue back and forth. Now, I don't know if that actually led, because he ended up getting the job on that episode. I don't, I'm not going to take credit for it, but I do remember I said, hey, you should tell casting, look at this person. And my manager was like, really? I was like, yeah. I said, because if I'm not going to do this, I know this dude, like he's putting in the work, and he's he just got to LA, and he's trying to network and do his thing. You know, unless and, and like for all I knew, he probably already got an audition call for it anyway. But I felt like he was the one I thought of. I said, I felt like Seamu could do this just because I knew what he was doing at Kim's convenience. And I felt like his sort of range, especially in the comedic realm, was going to fit really well with Fresh Off the Boat. And it should have gone to someone like him who was kind of rising his way up. Now he's a totally different stratosphere. Which <laughs> no, <he's crazy>. good. <laughs> but, but I just remember I, I love saying that. I love being able to suggest to others like, hey, well, how about Christopher Sean? How about this person? You know, and they look at me like I'm crazy. and I'm like, no, this is what it should be. You know, I know when I'm not right for a part. Like I used to not, I used to know that always, but I would still try to go do it. And it came to a point where I don't think I'm right for this, but I think this person might be. So take a look at them. And if they do great, if they don't, it is what it is. But, but yeah, that, that I forgot about that too. Cause I remember I emailed my manager back and like, tell him to look at this guy, Simu Liu. Like they may not know who he is, but trust me, I think he's the right guy for this just based on what I've seen of his work. And then sure enough, a few weeks later, can crunch right, <laughs> on the boat, there he is.
0: <laughs> and that's the solidarity part of it too, right? Even if, you know, besides the fact that you shared another name, but I think that's a part of Hollywood that is so ignorant of our community is that they don't know who they don't know. Mm-hmm. Like you just, unless someone puts their name in and we're the people who are looking out for who's on the rise, who's doing what. I should keep my eye on this person. I only have a, I see someone, I saw someone on Instagram, like this person only has like 12 1200 followers but it's shit's good so <laughs> it's really fun i'm like this guy's gonna be hot because his acting's really good he's consistent and it's and he's a personal guy on his on his content i think it's really smart but no one knows who he is yet so it's like if when you share that and you share the names and you share them out we start to build not only Hollywood knows who they are, but we're building a, a network of people to say, hey, this is you should you should check this out because we know this person. You might not know them, but this this is good. So this is good for all of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the whole point. And that's what we can um, do
1: as uh, as fellow artists and just fellow human beings, really, because mm-hmm. it's great when you have a representation like yourself pushing you out there, but we can do that as well because we build up connections over the years. We bu- we get to know these showrunners and creators. We can do that. Like we have that power to do so, and we have the power to say yes or no to that. I always believe in if I can help put someone over, I'm going to do it. Like That's just the right thing to do. you know. There's that old saying, of, you kids have it so easy these days. I hope we can say that to the next yeah. generation. I hope we can say, hey, you know what? When we were trying to do this thing, this was our battle. So don't lose sight of that because you're in a good position. Now you need to make it better for this next generation. Even if you have a really good now, let's make it even better. Always go for that improvement. You know, always go for that. What I call the point zero one percent. You know that that's where you really make that difference. Can you can only get that point zero one percent when you put in the work too. Like there's no shortcuts to that. So I think mm-hmm. th- I think that's a big key thing. You know, we we as creators, we got to be there for each other. And you know, you don't have to like each other. You don't have to hang out. Yeah. No, but you should. We all need to respect each other and respect that we all come in with the same goal. We're all trying to create. We're all trying to do the thing. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, as as we start to wrap it out, and we usually put this question in the beginning as an intro, but I would love to know a little about your relationship with your Korean American identity. Now, you're also mixed; you're German and Jewish, and Korean. Like, <laughs> it's, now, I'm also Japanese American and German, yeah. so we're on that same. Spectrum, we got a lot also,
1: of we got a that. lot of shit going on, man.
0: <laughs> but I would love to know how. Um, you know, how did you grapple with that identity? Or do you have a little bit of time? No we're over time for sure. So I,
1: I, I blocked off my whole afternoon for this, man, because I was like, <sighs> if we end up pulling like the long form and do a three hour chat, I'm with it. So I, I'm really <laughs> I wanna make sure you're good on time because you're a lot busier than I am.
0: Now I was supposed to have a call at 15, but I I push it to one cause I, I want to get these last questions. I oh, appreciate out. that. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, scope your Korean your Korean American identity, a even just an Asian American identity, you know. How has that developed over the years? I know people have different experiences. So you know, come from Chicago and then to LA. What's that been like? What has it has it developed? Has it changed? Or has it has it been a constant for your yourself?
1: That's a really great question, man. And I'm really glad you asked that because I've been really leaning more into my Korean American identity, especially recently. If I'm being honest, when I grew up, I grew up in a very white suburban town. I mean, shout out to Palatine, Illinois. I got a lot of great memories there friend high school, all that stuff. But it was a very white suburban town. And I didn't even know I was really Asian until somebody pointed it out. I mean, back then, in the 80s and 90s, you were just Chinese. If you looked at Asian, you were Chinese. Then if I tell them, are you Chinese or Japanese? I'm Korean. Well, what's that? Like, you know, I think that's a King of the Hill episode where he's like, are you Chinese or Japanese? He goes, I'm from Laos. He's like, so are you Chinese or Japanese? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, It's like, man, that's fucked up, but it's also very, 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 very accurate. (laughs) What's going on? But if I'm being honest, man, I almost felt like I couldn't, I didn't have an understanding of it. First of all, I think as kids, it's really tough for us to really know who we are because our lives are based on what our parents tell us, what our teachers are telling us, what our coaches are telling us. We're not really given a chance to really be on our own and figure out who we are. You know, even when I got to college, it was still professors, coaches when I was playing college football, you know, but for the most part, I almost felt like I had to hide the age. Like I couldn't, I didn't know what it meant to really be Korean, but all I knew is I didn't want to stand out for that reason because I just wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be the person like, oh, here comes the Asian guy. Here comes the whatever, you know, even though that would happen once in a while. I remember the first episode y'all did of Strong Asian Lead, you talked about how there are certain skill sets other people could have, like you could have. Daniel LaRusso doing the crane kick but if you and I do it it's like oh well you're Asian of course you're good at karate you know it's like those certain things that still take work to get good at but it gets thrown back in our face because of our ethnicity or if I got an A on a math test that I studied for mind you I'm not naturally good at math I just figure out what to do well he's Asian of course he got an A in math I'm like what the what the fuck does that mean man so I almost dumbed myself down in that regard I almost didn't want to get like all A's because I didn't want to fit that, what their expectation was of me, like, oh, you're Asian, so you got to do this, you know? So I didn't really fully embrace it as a kid, if I'm being honest. And like That was not mean I was ashamed. It's just I was more so afraid of just standing out for what I felt would have been the wrong reason. I didn't like that it was being used against me. I didn't like that what I, something I should be proud of and something I should take full ownership of was being stripped away because of what others were saying, because of their perception, because... They were trying to get me to fit some sort of expectation, of what they think an Asian American is. And this goes for high school, college, through the entertainment industry. There's still an expectation. They think Asians are a certain way, just like with the accent. Because there's been hundreds of years of this going on, you'll still meet people that are like, Oh wow, you speak English really well. And I'm like, You don't. <laughs> like that, that's my response to that bullshit, you know. But over the years, man, especially. The more you realize, you know, comparing yourself to others is a really a dead end because if you're comparing yourself to the image of somebody or what story that deadline or variety or empire is putting out there, you're only getting part of the story. They're putting out a certain portion of that narrative. You don't really have the full story, but they're putting out the parts that make you feel like you're insignificant because you're not on the magazine cover like Henry Golding or Simulu. They want us to feel like we're not worth a damn. But that's not the case. Just they just happen to be in a position where they're being promoted by a studio. But really, I've just leaned into it, man. It's just really, you know, the studio machine's going to think what they think. But at the end of the day, if you know, when I retire from this business, I want to make sure I take with me my full identity. And the only way to do that is really take ownership of who I am now, even though I have Caucasian blood, Korean blood, you know, you don't look at me and think that. So and I really just identify I'm Korean American. You know, if you want to know more where my last name comes from, I'll tell you, but I'm Korean American and I'm very proud of that, you know, to be able to say it out loud because if I would have said that in high school, it would have been cool for me individually, but I would have been ridiculed to death by my peers Mm -hmm. because it would always happen. I remember during basketball practice once I was killing motherfuckers on the court and the coach said, Hey Brody, you're playing like an all American today. And someone yelled out, don't you mean an all Asian coach? And I'm like, And what could could I do then? There's no other Asian person on the team, so no one's going to stick up for me. So at that point, unfortunately, I had to be kind of the go-along, get-along guy. I just had to laugh it off and pretend it was cool because at that point in high school, as you know, it's very important to be cool. And the cool kids are going to be usually the white kids because it's all white people in the school. Not that I have anything against those. I don't hold a grudge against anybody. I'm just stating facts. If somebody from my high school is listening and you think that you may have been one of those people. You probably were just know I don't hold a grudge, but I'm just pointing out the facts. And, you know, and that's something I'm very open to talking about. And so the fact that I can acknowledge that, that I felt like I had to hide my Asian identity, even even in Hollywood, like, you know, I just felt like I couldn't be as out there with it because somebody was going to try to tear it down. And now I know people will try to tear it down, try to ridicule us. If I know martial arts, like, look, I know martial arts because I studied it. It has nothing to do. Believe me, I've met Asian Americans who don't know any martial arts and yeah. that's not their obligation to do so. I've met Asian Americans who are not good at math or science. Like, Wait,
0: it's not an obligation? Right. That's like, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right.
1: It's like I that joke it. in Romeo right. Must Die when Aaliyah, rest in power, is asking Jet Li, is it true all you guys know Kung Fu? And he's like, oh yeah, it's a state law. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but it's a great throwaway uh, joke right, that yeah. I only caught on to in later years, but but, uh, to really answer your question, man, I, I've really come to terms and really proud of my Korean heritage and the more I learn about the history of it and also history of Asian-Americans in general. I mean, the episode you had mm-hmm. last week, you talked about Watiro Misaka, the first non-white player in the NBA in 1947, the same year Jackie Robinson came into baseball, but nobody talks about Wat Misaka. You know, he only played three games, but also people need to remember 1947, you're coming off of World War II, Pearl Harbor. They're not going to put a Japanese American over, you know. I don't know what the dude's skill set was, but if he was good enough to make the New York Knicks in 1947, yeah, he could have had a longer career, you know. So I mean, there, it's that part of history that's being kind of erased and not even talked about. And to me, uncovering those truths and doing more research is really cool, man. I f- I feel more empowered with my identity the more I lean into it because, like I said, for a long time. I kind of ran from it because I just didn't want to be different. But now it's like I'm just me. If that's different, that's one person's perspective, you know. It, that that's not unilaterally going to be the case. And I hope others listening, if you're a younger generation or same age as me, know that there's always going to be somebody that will not understand. They won't understand your ethnicity. They won't understand why you're proud to be who you are. They won't understand why you have the ambitions you have they don't need to. It's not our job to really explain it. If they want to learn, we can explain it to them. But I feel great kind of joy. And it's very liberating, too, to know that I own this. And there's nothing that Hollywood could ever do to take that away. You know, they could blacklist you from studios and not ever hire me. Great. But I at least get to walk away with my identity. And that's something they can never take from me.
0: Yeah, I 100% feel that, man. Like growing up, same way. It's like you didn't want you wanted get along go on to get along yep. but then and try to get even i heard uh, another podcast on david so's podcast like we had lunchables i didn't fucking love lunchables but everybody else had them so shit, just fucking eat, eat that cold pizza <laughs> rectangle pizza bro <laughs> all that shit and you know, like, oh, go we want to buy lunch at the cafeteria it's shit food but at least you feel like you could yeah. buy it. <laughs> and you feel like you're having a hot meal it's like you know, just, you'd go with it and then you don't want to bring out that asian because if you if you point it out they'll point it out and they're not going to make it's not going to be a fun point out it's going to always be oh look at the Asian kid mm-hmm. or like I was I know, literally my friend my friends quote unquote friends and say oh yeah the Asian kid or uh, call me Asian kid or you know China kid well all that kind of stuff I'm like and I just have to like yeah 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 yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the Asian yeah. <laughs> but like that's not cool and but we did that just to get along and I think that's what I need Hollywood to change is that when I point out that I'm Asian, that you don't make fun of it, you point out to it, you say, tell me more. Tell me more about why you choose to identify as Asian. I don't see any white Americans say, they might say I'm American, but I'm American too. But I don't see them saying I'm white. Right? you just like, that's the thing. What What are we holding on to? I think that's what some people just fear that because you're different and you have to talk about it is why we have to talk about it is cuz no one else knows about it.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that 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 really brings up something where what does it really mean to be American? Like we've been told like it's been equated with being Caucasian, but really we're being fed this certain history and this certain narrative. But really to be an American by definition is you are a citizen of the United States of America, which you and I both are. So we are as American as anybody here, you know. And I think there was a study out there where people were, did you hear about this, Lucy Liu and Kate Winslet thing? Did you hear about that? Or Not that one. There no. was this, some sociological study of they were serving who's more American, and they all said Kate Winslet, even though she's trying to you. Oh, right. <laughs> it, yeah. It's like, you know, so that, people, for those out there who say, oh, I may not think that, but I was like, you may not think white equals American, but there are plenty of people on this planet mm-hmm. and in this country that think that. So we need to flip that script and change the narrative and know that we control that narrative, you know, live we're like I said, white people told our stories for a long time, you know, and they they not well, <laughs> you know, Look at example, dragging the Bruce Lee story directed by one of the biggest hacks ever. I don't care if he hears this. I hope he does. Rob Cohen, one of the worst directors tried to ever go through the studio system. But because he was part of the good old boys and you see all these things in the news now, these allegations, when they're part of those groups, they get to enable their own bad behavior. You know, mm-hmm. and like for so long, that's been Hollywood. This bad behavior. It's been in front of us for literally over a century. And I think people really need to take side of that. This isn't anything recent. And when anybody says, don't bring race into it, I said, we didn't. Were you all about race in the moment Christopher Columbus got lost? Let's be real. He got lost and came out <laughs> yeah. here by accident and then started killing off the indigenous. You're like, y'all brought race into it before we did. And what we're doing is we're just really taking ownership of what's rightfully ours, but really rightfully mm-hmm. to anybody who is a citizen here in the U.S., that's really what it is.
0: Yeah. Holding our own, mm-hmm. keeping our identities and not letting it be assimilated. Yeah. You know, and colonize all that. I feel you. Yeah. Well, man, it's been really good to hear from you and get a long chat with you. We could go on for another couple of hours, I'm sure. I'll, hey, brother, <laughs>
1: I'll come back anytime you need me, man. So this could be part one of infinity. We'll, we'll, infinity. I, I love yeah. it. make this is a recurring thing because uh, every time I talk to you or we just text, you know, I learn something new and hopefully that's a reciprocal thing on your end as well.
0: Always, man. Always. And before we wrap up, you know, what's what's next for you and where can people follow you?
1: Well, I'm, I'm still trying to get 1992 going. So, I mean, I mean, I'm at a crossroads now where I don't think the traditional studio system is going to pick this up. And I've really just come to accept that that's just where we are, unfortunately. So I'm really just looking at how can I make this on my own, whether it's a Kickstarter or whatever. I'll, I'll think of something and I'll probably just kind of put it out there publicly. I'll let you know as well. Maybe we can do some sort of cross promotion there. So 92 is always going to be my passion project. There's a couple other things. I mean, I have a gaming channel that I created with my best friend, Freddie Prince Jr. Called Gaghead. So youtube.com forward slash Gaghead. That's the word egghead with the G in front of it. We do like gaming stuff. If you're into... Gaming man, come join us sometime. We need more Asian dudes on there. Some some cool Asian cats like yourself. So come in.
0: I'm not the Asian gamer. Oh, it's man. not me. <laughs> not me. I haven't played a video game in like years.
1: What about, what about like board 30 games? Thirty minutes.
0: It's been a couple long time, but I would play board games. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: we'll, we'll figure something out, man. But there's always. I know, you had,
0: settles, I know you had that settlers. I you had that settlers Catan thing. Oh, yeah. which I think is super interesting. So
1: we'll we'll have a game night one of these nights, man. Like right, we'll we'll cool. we'll wait, we'll just get together, kind of do a casual game night, and see see if it's your jam. But there's always something I'm working on. There's an animated concept that I'm working on right now. I just talked to a showrunner. I don't want to mention any names at the moment, but it's really going to be just kind of the Korean American experience, but from two different perspectives, just because, just because I was a Korean American in my high school, there was others, but they may not have seen it the same way. And I think that's important that people tend to think, you know, when people like Simulu are out there making statements, that's not necessarily a unilateral statement for all Asians, It's very true, a lot of common denominators, but Simu can only speak on his experiences. That's really all he can do. Now, he's a very smart dude, he's very educated when he talks, but it's only really his experiences. And I think it's important that even though we may share an ethnicity or share a title of Asian American, that all of our experiences are very, very unique. And I think that's really fucking cool, man, because you and I are both Asian Americans, but we see things through a different lens. We end up meeting in the middle, but I like hearing those perspectives and I think doing that through an animated show would be really cool. So that's something I'm working on. There's always something there's always something I'm looking to do. I'm still knocking on the doors of DC Comics and Warner Brothers television. Come on, guys, you haven't. I've been knocking on all all's doors for five years and you still haven't hired me to do an episode of television. But, you know, but I won't bring that up like I just did. But, <laughs> but really, and more than anything, just talking to individuals like yourself, man, and just like, let's keep this let's keep this message going, because really what we're doing here, I feel getting this collective, it's bigger than anything in the entertainment industry. Like this is something that really can make waves. And that really is my biggest passion right now is, you know, learning more about myself, Korean background, but also learning more about others. That's really my greatest purpose at the moment.
0: Well, man, you said wrapped us up perfectly. Thank you. Just Thanks for just being you and doing, you know, fighting for it and really sticking to true to yourself. So I think I really appreciate that.
1: I appreciate you. Bro. You're a real one. You, you know that, right? So I just, I'm just reminding you. So you're a good dude. And I can't <laughs> wait for the nice conversation and some more collaborations.
0: Sounds good, buddy. All right, All right man. Thanks again so much. And, you know, take care and, you know, stay safe out there. Wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got my
1: Purell right here. Right? <laughs> so I'm perfect. I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy.
0: I'll talk to you later. All right, Sounds good, brother. Thanks for listening to my conversation with John Lee Brody. If you'd like to follow John, you can find him on the various social media platforms as at John Lee Brody. That's spelled J-O-N-L-E-E-B-R-O-D-Y. You can also listen to his new podcast, A Real Psychology, on the Fireside app. Link to that is in our show notes. Thanks again for listening to Strong Asian Lead. We're still getting through the backlog of these interviews and doing our best to publish them on a weekly basis. I'm personally taking my days off to put these together, which is why it's taken over a year to publish them. If you're interested in volunteering to help with this podcast, please reach out to us at the email hello at strongasianlead.com. Thanks again for listening to Strong Asian Lead. I'm your host, Masami Moria.